Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews, where we talk to our best movie makers about the art and craft of movie making. My name is Tim Malloy, and this week we're doing something a little different. We're talking about how to break into Hollywood. This is an in-depth interview with Rishi Rajani, the president of Hillman Grad Productions, which is the production company of Lena Waite. If you don't know, she won an Emmy for writing the homecoming episode of Master of None. She created The Shy and other shows, and she wrote Queen and Slim. With Hillman Grad, Waith and Rajani are trying to parlay their success to help other people make it, especially underrepresented people who want to make protest art, and who may not have affluent parents who can help them. One of their new films is the 40-year-old version, which stars director Rada Blank as a playwright who becomes a rapper just before turning 40 years old. It debuts at Sundance in just a few days, and it has a very cool black and white New York kind of 90s aesthetic that I loved. We talked at the brand new Hillman Grad offices, where Rishi explained that just a short time ago, the company was Lena Waithe, him, and his laptop and phone. Rajani is one of those Hollywood executives who literally worked his way up from the mailroom to become the president of a company well before he even turned 30. We'll talk about why the mailroom is still important in 2020, and we'll talk about the upcoming projects he's leading for Hillman Grad Productions. If you like this episode, check out the next issue of Movie Maker Magazine, which features an in-depth profile of Rajani and Hillman Grad as well as another rising production company, Lucky Chap Entertainment, which Margot Robbie started with Tom Ackerley, Sophia Kerr, and Josie McNamara. Both stories give you a really good in-depth look at some very young people who started their own companies to try to change Hollywood for the better. And now, Rishi Rajani. So congratulations on all the incredible success for Hillman Grad in this first year. Thank you. Uh, the foundational year, as you put it, before we started recording. Right. <laughs> I, I saw Queen and Slim, loved Queen and Slim. Uh, I got to see the 40-year-old version last night, which is the yep. movie that you're debuting at Sundance. Such a cool like 90s aesthetic. Oh, man, I'm so glad you got the early look. <laughs> it was awesome. It was really fun and really felt like, you know, indie film is alive in that, in that way that, oh, that we makes ha- me so happy. Oh yeah. She's excellent. Rada blank. She's incredible. And we just like with us too, I think with her, she had come with this very clear visions, very clear passion, the script. And really it was Lena and I coming in and being like, let's help you find the financing for it. Let's help you get it off the ground and run with it. Do your thing. Like, you know what you want to do with it. Like we're not going to stand in any way, shape or form in the way of your vision. Yeah. The project. So can you use that movie as an example of sort of how uh, Hellman Grad Productions works? Totally. Like how yeah. you find stories, how you get them off the ground? Yeah. You know, that, I mean, that one was a, a very specific one, I think, in that, you know, Rada had been working on this project for a number of years. She had taken it through the Sundance Lab. She had developed it. It had been like the movie that she needed to make, you know, and. I think it was in, in taking it to a lot of different financiers and maybe not necessarily getting the support or the backing. You know, it's like she wrote it, starred in it, directed it. I think it's a lot of things that I think people find as like risky or challenging in that kind of way, which for us, it was like we think Rod is incredible and we're so excited for the world to, to see this film and to, to agree with us uh, on that point. But first it was like, okay, you know, Hillman Grad has a certain amount of cachet. Now, Lena has built a certain amount of cachet. Yeah. I love that one of the things that she said to me during our first ever, like when she was literally interviewing me for the job, was she was like, I, I always knew I was going to win an Emmy. Um, 
but I didn't necessarily think I was going to win an Emmy this early hmm. in my career. And so she's like, I want to spend every single day earning that Emmy by basically bringing other people up with me. And which has really kind of been like the core mandate of everything we do over here. Yeah. But with that movie in particular, it was like, okay, like what can we get for Rada by, you know, attaching the Lena brand, the Hillman grad brand to the project and, and taking it out. And, you know, luckily it attracted the attention of this incredible financier named Jordan Fudge, um, who came in and, and helped us make the movie. Yeah. And so, um, they said like it was it was one that we talked about at Sundance last year, and to be debuting at Sundance this year is incredible. So. Yeah, it's funny to think of you having like a normal job interview for this because with Hil- right. the name Hillman grad, I oh, thought totally. like oh probably they all went to Hillman together, <laughs> and this is like one of those things where everybody knew each other forever and always do their work together. But you didn't know Lena before. No, so I mean. I was working at um, a company called Studio 8 before, which is run by Jeff Robinov, used to be the chairman of Warner Brothers, and it was this really amazing uh, company that he had started up with the intention of, again, building up younger filmmakers in the same way they did Alfonso Cron and Chris Nolan and Spike Jones and all those people. Yeah. Um, and that was the place where, where I got promoted to executive. Um, and that was a number of years back and then ended up working in both film and television for them. But I met Lena there when we uh, had to option this graphic novel that was called Black. It was basically said, well, it's only black people have superpowers. Yeah. Um, it was right after she had won her Emmy. Um, and I like I was obsessed with her work. I loved like the, the pilot of The Shy. That was a script that was floating around at the time. Then the, all the Master of None stuff happened. And I was like, there's no way she's going to be interested in this. But I <laughs> sent it over to her and she was. Um, exciting. She came in with this. Uh, um, she was intending to write it with someone named Kathy Kasaki, who's actually someone we're working with now wow. on, a, on a pilot. But you know, they came in together, pitched it. Ultimately, the project didn't end up moving forward at Studio Eight. But you know, it was I was so enamored by her and her, her vision and her voice that luckily, like a, a few months later, as I was kind of trying to figure out what my next step was and where my trajectory was going to be. Uh, Lena's manager, Andrew Coles, reached out to me. I was like, Lena's looking for someone to run Hillman grad. Wow. We think you might be a good fit. Are you willing to have breakfast with her and talk about it? And I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> yes, like <laughs> without question. And so, but yeah, it was, it was a real, it was a real job interview. We, um, I, I remember like, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily prepped for a job interview as intensely as I did this one. Um, we, uh, we basically, Ended up, uh, I, I like put together like a bunch of lists and documents. I mean, like these are all the filmmakers you should work with. These are all the writers you should be working with. Here's what I love here, piece of IP. Here's be my plan for the first year of the company, and stuff. And I think she was sort of like, okay, this kid is crazy, but I like his energy. <laughs> and um, literally like, and because Lena's so uh, decisive, like yeah. that night she was like, you're in. And so. That, the night you the interviewed. Night. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so crazy. It seems like there's something to, you really want to be with people who are full speed ahead, mm-hmm. who, you know, the people who are like, oh, well, let's, you know, consider this and put this on the back burner and let this marinate for a little while and da Totally. Those things are never going to get done. No. And I think like that's also sometimes the fear of being at a talent driven production company. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that people are always a little afraid of is like, okay, I'm going to go join this thing where there's a person who's a celebrity at, at, as the face of it, but I can never get in touch with them. If whenever I need the backup and the support, they're not going to be around for me. 
Lena is the exact antithesis of that. Like, Mm. she is such a fierce producer in her own right. Like, she's a real producer. You know, she wants to know updates on every single one of our projects multiple times per week. It's like, you know, like, how do we push this ahead? Where can I jump in? Where can I put in a call to a studio head? Where can I send an email? Where can I, like, do this? And she'll be on set and she'll be watching things. And, like, that for me was so huge and understanding that aspect of her. Yeah. Because... I think that, that's the toughest thing is being able to just like, you know, push things forward and get attention. And for us, it's like we just never want to be sitting in development on stuff. Like yeah. it's just like that is the bane of our existence. And <laughs> and so it's like going in with a very clear mission. Being like, okay, so at this, you know, if we sell a project to a company, like being at, right at the top of the process, being like, what are the things that we do, need to do to get this project greenlit? And then as Lena and I take it on as our mission to sit down and achieve every single one of those things that we can then go back to the studio and the network, the financier, and be like, listen, we talked about it. We did all this stuff. Like, let's go. Let's move. And I think that's a lot of the reason that even in this past year, we've been able to produce three films, three seasons of television, a TV pilot, a few music videos, a few short films, a few commercial campaigns. It's been nuts. Um, But I think it's just like that sort of like, like we're not here to just like sit around. Yeah. Um, we're here to make content. Because um, again, like I think like in it's like if you're truly going to be supporting younger voices, it's like you have to get their stuff made. Yeah. And if you're truly going to be trying to actually make a difference in the world in terms of like the scope of the kinds of things you're putting out, and like again, a lot of our stuff it's very protest art, it's social commentary driven, it's yeah. like changing the focus of society. But again, you don't make any impact unless you make a thing and people see it. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. You can put it in a mission statement, but it doesn't matter unless you exactly. have some work to back it up. Exactly. Exactly. So can you talk about the mission? Um, I think you did kind of just spell it out, but... Yeah. No, for sure. I think it's, um, you know, like Lena and I, and again, this it also like was a conversation that we had at that very first breakfast, but um, for both of us, it's we're, we're people that are very driven by... One, giving younger writers and directors and creatives like a real opportunity to show their art to the world and to be supportive of them and their vision and their voices. But also when it comes to actual content that we're putting out, it has to have um, that protest art message to it. It's gotta be pushing the culture forward. And I think for us what that means is not that it's sort of hitting you over the head with, um, you know, it, it's sort of like a message or, or a moral or something. Cause I don't think people want medicine. But it's about doing things in a way in which you can create things that are incredibly entertaining that people actually want to go out and see and can actually change the cultural conversation around it. I think Queen and Slim is a great example yeah. of that in that it's a thriller and it's a love story, but obviously it's saying a lot about you know the state of racial tension in America right now. Yeah. Obviously, like I mean, Get Out is such an incredible example of what that can do. But we also think we'll talk about things like Will and Grace and Modern Family and hmm. how... Like that made it okay to be gay and it made it okay to be gay and have kids. Like, and that was something that became a lot more acceptable because of the power of content and media. Um, and like, I, I've always, it's always been something that I've grown up with because, um, so my, my parents were both born in Africa. My mom was born in Uganda. My dad was born in Malawi. Hmm. But one of the funny things about that is when I talk to my dad a lot about the memories that he has from 
Malawi. It, he talks a lot also about going to the movie theaters and watching American westerns. My dad loves American westerns, <laughs> and like, you know, whenever I go home, it's like we're we're gonna throw on the Magnificent Seven or the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and just like the the old classics. But it, I, I was just thinking about it, like you're looking at 50 years ago, and you know, having a kid in a small town in the middle of Malawi be so influenced and impacted by an American. Yeah film like the impact of that has only grown massively since then and it's something that, that just like it it's fully you know always at the back of my head it's like do we truly believe in the message of this thing that we're putting out or that we're developing or yeah there is there a reason for its being and like is there a responsible thing to be putting out into the world and yeah. so it, it, it's a lot of that and I think you have questions of that that, that pop up all the time in, in media and like what kind of agenda you're pushing and what kind of agenda you're not. But for us, it's just all like, like how can we be incredibly honest with our stuff and also like not waste any of those platforms and voices and opportunities that we have. Yeah. You know, I'm doing a cover story for the next issue of Movie Maker about Margot Robbie's production company, Lucky Chap. Uh, and what's interesting about them is it's her, it's her husband, it's one of their really good friends, another of their really good friends, all of whom were in the industry. Um, and they just sort of came together and said, we should be making movies together. And it made me think, it's kind of crazy how many decisions and how many things we do with total strangers. I mean, how much of our life depends on like, I hope this total stranger turns out to be a good business collaborator. <laughs> um, I have a good feeling about them based on like our two lunches and our meeting before. Right we got into business together. What do you think are the benefits of working with people, sort of becoming friends with people through meeting them at work versus working with friends? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I think in, for us, you know, obviously like I got to see Lena's work. I got to read her work. I got to see her environment. I got to have a couple meetings with her before we signed on together and that was great because I was like, oh, this person is so determined to be like a producer and producer and have a massive production company and that's all I want to be a part of. I think she got to see me operate a little bit at Studio 8 um, in regards to like me and the context of how I operate as well. But I think if you also look at the broader scope of our company, like a lot of the people that we work with are people that we almost like sort of bring up in yeah. a way. So it's like, you know, we're, we're almost like less going to be the company that's just like oh like we want to finance the film or, or, or you know help get financed and produce film of someone that we've completely never seen work it's more like oh cool we did this person came and did an episode of tv with us uh yeah. they came and did a couple more they were in a writer's room of ours we got to see them work and i think tv is such this incredible playing ground to be able to just like try people out and try people's voices and yeah. I think like it, we also like want a certain kind of temperament and want the kind of people that are like down to to get in the nitty-gritty with us and like do the work and pound the pavement and so I think I always tend to uh, I shy a little bit more I think to people who's who I have had those like you know few experiences with and few meetings but there's also people that you know, are working with Hellman grad that have been friends of the court for a long time yeah um so I think it, it goes both ways for sure, but I think like ultimately, like regardless of friendship or not friendship or having worked with them before or not working with them before, it's always like what's on the page and what's on the screen yeah. that like really counts for it. Like if the short is incredible or if the writing sample is incredible, we're like, 
we should figure this out because it's yeah. it's that's always like we're never gonna you know we're never gonna do a friend's project just because they're a friend and we're never gonna you know not take on something because we've never heard of the person before so, yeah. yeah it's funny because kind of the reason that we need production companies like yours to tell stories from people who haven't been represented on screen is that the same people have been making movies for so long or were for so many decades. Oh, yes. And it yeah. was like, you know, this is my golf buddy's kid or yeah. this is Completely. my business partner's. And so it's kind of like, how do you find a happy medium between people who you come into contact with who deserve an opportunity and um, that's sort of the good version. And there's just cold, pure meritocracy of like, these people apply for the job. I don't want to know anybody beforehand. And it, it seems like you're kind of finding a middle ground there, like a nice middle ground. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it brings up sort of also just this interesting act, aspect of the the company that, you know, Lena and I have certainly been grappling with a little bit is that just the barriers to entry in Hollywood are so yeah. high. And like, you, you know, even, you know, to come out here and be an assistant you know, in the way that I did and a lot of my peers did, it does. You need like a support system. Like I, my first gig was $10 an hour. Yeah. Was you know in, in an, an agency mailroom, yeah, and a lot of people don't have necessarily that infrastructure or support system. Parents covering their rent for them. A lot of people also don't have access to information and access to you know what these jobs are, how to get out here, a plane flight to Los Angeles, supporting yourself for a little while, trying to find that first yeah. gig. And so you know it, it's been it's been a, a tough thing for Lena and I to sort of sit there and be like, okay, like obviously like we love everything but what, that we're doing, but how do we expand even further? And so one of the things that we have really um, you know, started up in a, a program that we're revamping now is our Hillman Grad Mentorship Program. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is with exactly that sentiment in mind being like, how do we support people? How do we you know, give people grants to come out here and live for a few months, set them up with their first gig, um, help them make a short film? You know, We just did this amazing program with AT&T where we had five young directors and five young writers and they got to make short films that we produced and AT&T was awesome and gave them like a really significant budget on it. But that was great because those people now all have samples and had a thing that allowed them to be showcased that got them attention around town, got them agents, got them reps yeah. who wouldn't necessarily have gotten it before. And so I think for us, it's like continuing to think out of the box in the way that because like you know we could very easily have a business that is entirely just based off of like getting submissions from agents and managers and spec scripts and you know directing samples and such but that doesn't really cut it for us because yeah. um, if you're not doing that if you're not actually engaging in hiring more people like real mentorship then you're not actually changing any of the face of Hollywood because I think you're absolutely right that it still ultimately ends up being like the person whose dad is an agent, the person who, you know, was able to go to USC and then hang out and write scripts for three years afterwards without having a job. You know, it's like, yeah, that's just, and it's just sort of the nature of it. And it's not even necessarily like a knock on the people that have that privilege. It's just trying to understand, trying to make sure that we're not a company that falls into that same you know, normal state of affairs as well. Yeah. I mean, it's the rich intern phenomenon. You're only right. going to get the kids who live in the LA or New York area who are able to, or can handle the rent in the New York or LA area. Um, and nothing wrong with them. They're smart. They might do yep. a super great job, but they don't have the experience of somebody who's coming completely in cold. who might have a lot of amazing stories to tell. Totally. I mean, we have this dream 
of literally starting an incubator in LA that, you know, people apply to and, and send kind of like what their creative dreams and aspirations and ambitions and whether you want to be a writer or a director or an actor or a producer. And we have this like awesome like house compound here that you get to come and live in, live rent free, um, you know, get money to make things, like get set up with your first job. This like is that. already happening? No, this is this this this, this is, is this is this yeah. is the dream. This is the goal of the the Hellman Grad mentorship program. It's something that we're working towards and building up and building up and building up. Awesome. Because that would be a total game changer, I think. Just yeah. like and and if we can kind of start doing this, start seeing people in the industry who would have literally never even thought they could have a shot at getting into Hollywood that way, like that would be huge. And so it's something we're working towards and a pretty significant aspect of the company. We just brought in this um, this amazing woman, Margie Gilmore, to run our nonprofit division. And wow. it's, um, you know, it, it's ambitious, but I think everything we do is ambitious. So. If you could also make that the norm where it's just, well, you know, where your intern's going to live for the summer. Um, making sure that that totally. aspect is taken care of, and then it changes the entire industry completely. Yeah, and changes everything that we see. Yep, on screen. Uh, you guys had a great program. I don't know if it's still going on. Maybe it got too overwhelming. Um, but where, if you had a certain score on the blacklist, you could automatically submit. Yeah, is that still going on? Um, it it is. You know, I think one of the things for us, it's like constantly sort of like shifting and navigating and making sure that we're able to like adequately service kind of like the the number of submissions that come in and stuff and obviously like that was a lot of submissions and while there were definitely some scripts that were great that came out of it some scripts that were that still needed a lot of work and a lot of development and we weren't quite sure we're ready for that next stage of getting into a writer's room right yeah, so it's um you know i think it, it might be sort of like looking at that as one aspect of our criteria yeah uh for getting in and you know it's something that like listen like a Lena's still someone that responds to the DMs. Uh, every single DM mm-hmm. she gets on Instagram, I don't know if I should be putting that out I there because I'm it. sure. <laughs> sure. I, I think right? we should leave it in, but. <laughs> uh, no, but she does. I mean, it's like a pretty like well-known uh, you know thing, and and she does, and yeah, it's uh, it because it, ultimately, like, if we stop doing that and stop you know reading things, and you know, we read sort of like a lot of stuff that comes in the company that way and sit down with people and talk to people and Lena discovers so many people on Instagram. It's amazing. Like she is really? constantly like, yeah, I mean like there, there's an incredible director named Sean Frank that, that Lena discovered off Instagram. We gave him this first episode of TV of Boomerang. He went through the AT&T mentorship program with us wow. um, because she just got obsessed with, with his work over there, you know? And so it's, it's totally, again, but that, again, is like a very youth-oriented, different way of trying to break people into the business. And I think like one of the things that we always encourage younger creatives that we sit down with or meet with is, if you want to break into this industry, you're actually at an interesting point of time in history where you have access to other people through social media, yeah. putting your stuff online in a way that, like, even looking like 10 years ago, people didn't. Yeah. And so we're like, start creating. Like, yeah. start making stuff. And yeah. like put it out there, and if it's great, like we'll we'll find out about it. And that is just like it, it's kind of a cool part about being a young person trying to break in right now. Yeah. What was the blacklist score? Oh, oh, to, that to we qualify. Oh, it was an eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It, 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 it was no small peanuts. <laughs> an eight is attainable though. It's uh. Totally. Yeah, it, it's funny to think that there are things that can score that well that still need a lot of work to develop. But For sure. 
it's it's just you know the screenwriting totally. is just part of the process exactly and it's also like you know it, it's i think like any kind of creative piece is so hard to judge because there's just it's all opinions and it's like one person's perspective versus a different person's perspective and um some person can think it's genius some person can think it's completely down the middle and so it's like that's the other really hard part about i think like judging creative content as it comes in it's just the subjective nature of it and so for us it's always like it's like does it feel unique is like the writing on the page great um does it feel like a distinctive voice and is there a reason for the story existing you know like have we not seen it before like is there something that feels utterly like original and fresh and unique about it and then if it does fulfill that stuff we're like well this is an interesting person we should bring them in and talk to them and yeah you know, like lena's absolutely like seen people on instagram that she's flown to the la to wow sit down with um hmm. what was that i'm just laughing yeah it's just oh awesome. no it's like yeah it's um she's also um you know it, and there's also like sort of like even the aspect of the Helmogard mentorship program that Lena's been doing for the last few years is people are like, I really want to be a writer in Hollywood. I live in middle of nowhere, wherever. How do I do it? And Lena would be like, all right, like I said to our team, like track down the best writing class in the area, the most like the best, like thing or the best acting class and I'll sponsor that. Wow. And I'll, you know, I'll do it. And so like, I think like Lena has been doing so much of this stuff on her own the, for the past many years that I think the sort of like the rebranding of the, the mentorship program is maintaining the spirit of that, but giving it also like a, a structure yeah. to move forward with as well. Hearing this, it's absolutely awesome. And I'm also kind of annoyed that it falls to you a smallish in terms of Hollywood company to do this. Oh, completely. Because <laughs> there are people with more resources who could be totally. doing more. <laughs> um, and that's the, that's the other thing too, is that it, the thing is, though, is that we want to leverage that, and yeah. um, we're literally starting to go out to corporate sponsors on the program uh, early next year into studios and things. But I think it's a really smart idea for any studio to be like, "Oh, this is a pipeline for young talent that has been mentored by Lena Waithe," you know. And so, yeah. why wouldn't I want to get in on, on that? So, I think we're we're very excited for uh, these larger companies that maybe haven't been doing as much as they should have been doing before to be able to look at this as an opportunity to make amends and be on the right side of history. So. Yeah. Could we just talk about Queen and Slim and uh, yeah. the 40 year old version and how they fit into your vision? Totally. Um, what was the goal when, when you decided to make Queen and Slim? I mean, obviously Lena wrote it. Yeah. Um, you put it together with Melina Matsukas, who she worked with on that amazing episode yeah. of master of none. Yep. Um, Thanksgiving. What was the what was the hope for that movie, and did you achieve it? Oh man! So, and one of the things that I, the caveats I have to say a little bit about Queen and Slim is that was a moving train when I came into the company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that I think like Lena always talks about how she sort of inadvertently packaged that film herself <laughs> as a producer, <laughs> in that she you know talked to Daniel Kaluuya, who was like, "I really want to play Slim to Melina." I think Melina was like, "I'm not sure about Daniel Kaluuya." They met, they fell in love. It was like a whole kind of packaged and that's what they took out to studios and so I think the intention behind that film was Lena wrote a script that she so firmly like felt incredibly passionate about being her first film put together some great incredible group of people to be part of it and then she wanted to make it in an unadulterated fashion yeah she didn't want to be stuck in notes she didn't want to have you know old studio executives telling her what it should be or what it shouldn't be and so the benefit to her doing it in a way that she did which is writing this the spec script, packaging it together with those elements, and then taking it out to the town as a package, it was like, oh, like you can make this movie 
or you can't. It's not like a like we're going to option. We're going to develop this film. You know, it's like, and what was incredible is that we saw like this feeding frenzy in town and a bunch of different studios went after it. Yeah. Um, Cause it was like a hot package and they were able to ask what, for whatever they wanted on the film and whether that being like final cut, whether that being, um, you know, a specific budget level, like w- whatever it was. But I think what they fully were able to achieve with the film is this idea of getting to make the exact movie they wanted to make. Yeah. And I think that's something that very few people can ever say in Hollywood. And, you know, they were able to stand by every single one of their creative choices. And you're getting like a very pure taste of what Lena and Melina are, and especially as a creative team. Yeah. And so um, I think that, I mean, obviously, like, I think, like, I always bring up that film when it comes to the idea of protest art and, and being like, you can talk about very, very specific issues of, of race in America, but do it in a way that's like gorgeous and cinematic and beautiful and has momentum and has, you know, love and also showcases people of color and people that have traditionally <clears throat> been othered as also having like actual hopes and dreams and aspirations. And like, I think one of the things that we always talk about with the film, it's like, you need those little moments where they're at the juke joint dancing. You yeah. need the moment where, the, where they're at the horses because it's like, oh, these are human beings. Like right. these are these are not just like a headline. These are not just people on the run. It's like, oh, like this is like there may be an inevitability to their fate, but, um, you know, it in those in those moments and in, in their love, you get to actually see them and like really see them. And that I think is also sort of the intention behind the movie. And I think also, I think when it, as it extends to all of our projects, it's like for too long Hollywood has in making stories about people that have been traditionally othered, it's been like, Oh, this person has, you know, has a different skin color. The entire movie is going to be about them having a different skin color and all the challenges that come with having a different skin color, you know, right. it's like, or the same with a person who is disabled. And so for us, it's like, well, why does it have to be like that? Right. Um, for example, on, on Boomerang, which is a show that we do with BET, um, we just actually wrapped up um, the, the second season on, there's this character named Ari, and he's a bisexual black man who is very sort of masculine presenting. And for us, you know, I think there's sort of that like original, like sort of like question of, he's bisexual is he struggling with his sexuality like is that kind of his conflict and arc throughout the series and it's like no like he's bisexual he knows that's what he is he also has hopes and dreams and aspirations he wants to be a filmmaker and he's also going to run into struggles with his sexuality but all told through a very specific lens rather than just being like this guy can't decide which is such like a ridiculous and old school (laughs) and archaic like way of thinking about things um and so, yeah, and I think, like, I mean, 40-year-old version is, is that as well. I mean, like, the idea that we're telling the story of a woman of color who's of a specific age is not something we ever get to do. And all the, the struggles and challenges come with that. But, again, not done in this melodramatic way, but done in a, in a way in which you're actually seeing the person at their core. And so, yeah. It's funny, and she's cool. Yeah. And as a 44-year-old, I didn't feel like (laughs) they're making us look like super old and out of touch and whatever. Like, I actually really like seeing, like, (laughs) felt validated about a lot of the music that I listened to in the 90s where it was like, oh, this is still good. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) That was cool. 
Amazing. One thing I feel like is very unfair to movies that um, have predominantly African-American casts or any, really any non-white, non-male cast is it's like that movie is then expected to be, to represent every single one of that type of person. If it's like, this is a movie about a 40-year-old black woman, well, that's not my experience as a 40-year-old black woman. And then the movie gets discredited because it doesn't tell every single 40-year-old black woman's story. Right. And it's like, I felt like you got a little bit of that with Queen and Slim, and it's it's just such yeah. an unfair situation where you didn't create the system where there are so few movies right. with people of color in the lead telling these types of stories. Totally. Is it a conversation you even have, or you just do you just go, we've got to just tell the story we're telling? I think we just say we got to just tell the story. Like it's um you know and obviously on, on Queen and Slim there there are people there's so many people that have come out of the woodworks being like this movie changed my life this movie was everything I needed to hear and there was also you know a few people who maybe didn't love the ending or didn't feel like that was the story that they needed story they were told and I think. For us, and also what, you know, for Lena and from Lena, and what we encourage all of the writers and creators and directors that we work with, it's like it's honesty. It's being able to tell your truth. And Queen and Slim was Lena and Melina's truth. Yeah. And I don't think anyone should ever be doing something that isn't that, or trying to pander to an audience, or trying to, or even trying to say like this is what's gonna make big box office numbers. And you know, thankfully, Queen and Slim has been a really significant success at the box office. Yeah. But for us, it's it's always erring on the side of the filmmaker's vision. Like Lena, we're, we we say we're protectors as much as we are producers, because so much of what we do is is you know it's producing and giving inputs and providing a support system and a structure. But also, like for a filmmaker or a writer that comes in and, and works with us, it's like, what is your core vision of this? And we will fight tooth and nail to make sure that that is the vision that you end up with. Cause I think we're a little bit sick and tired of seeing projects go through hell in the system and coming out as just this mishmash of a bunch of different people's opinions on what the film should be. There are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There are a lot of people giving notes and we're like trying to perform our, this protective barrier around our talent and being like, we invested in you and this specific idea. Like, we're not going to let that get changed. Yeah. Uh, do you have any advice for other people who want to do what you're doing? Yeah. It's a, it's a weird job. I think, like, <laughs> I don't know that I even necessarily could fully say what being a producer is. <laughs> it's like, it, it so varies from project to project. There are projects where I'm on the ground and I'm on set every day. There are projects where I'm absolutely not. And it really comes down to what the creators and the talent are looking for from me as a producer and being very open to that and not being overbearing and also like stepping up as needed. But I think it, in terms of breaking in, you know, it's it's also a thing that I think like I didn't, I didn't it's a not a job I knew existed until really my kind of like first internship and... Mm. In New York, I, I interned for Morgan Spurlock over at Hungry yeah. Poets um, uh, many years ago. And, but I think, like, for me, it's like, and I feel like it's almost like such a cliche piece of advice, but like going into a talent agency and starting in the mailroom and becoming an assistant, at, I became an assistant over at UTA uh, when I first moved out to LA. Like, it was such my grad school. Yeah. It was such a, coming in, like not knowing much about the industry, 
but all of a sudden like being like, oh, I need to pay attention to deadline. I need to pay attention to Hollywood Reporter. I need to know what's going on so I can stand out. And then when I'm finally on the desk of an assistant, obviously it comes with all the assistant things and scheduling and, um, you know, picking up the phone and making sure your boss's cats are okay. Yeah. But it, <laughs> it it's also, you know, being able to listen in on calls where deals are getting made, being, you know, connected to people, interacting with clients and execs and business affairs people and lawyers. You get this such broad overview of the business in a way that, like, I, would, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I, and I so for even, like, a lot of the people that are coming up through our program wanting to be producers, like, I want to be placing them at agencies. And like, yeah. like, let's, like... And then you can come out of there and feel like you have such a connection instead of knowledge or breadth of knowledge. And I also, like, I still talk to a lot of the assistants that I came up with who are all now execs all over the place. Yeah. And that's my network. And yeah. those are the people I get material with. And that's the people whose opinions I trust on things. So would highly recommend it. I think we kind of know about the world of assistants if we watched Entourage. <laughs> um, but there's such a, like... There's such a like legendary status to the mailroom, and people almost like think it's a joke. But I right. mean, I I got in the elevator at CA the other day, and they were literally coming up from the mailroom and talking totally. about what was going on in the mailroom. Can you talk about why in 2019 the mailroom is still so important, and what happens in the mailroom? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's also one of those things that in understanding the ecosystem of a talent agency itself, it's remembering that because of all the business that's done, all the clients that are handled. Like, there's a crazy amount of mail that comes into an agency. There's a crazy amount of emails. There's a crazy amount of phone calls. I'm not sure exactly what the situation was, but I think when they first were putting in kind of like digital phone systems and email systems into talent agencies that were used at all the other Fortune 500 companies, they all broke in the first Mm. week (laughs) because even what a Fortune 500 company was doing was nowhere near the level of volume an agency. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the mailroom, though, is not just about delivering mail, even though that's, that's certainly an aspect of the job. It's also um, where you learn how to be an assistant. It's yeah. also, so you you do a lot of what's called floating. And so whenever an assistant is out sick or something, like no agent's trying to be left high and dry. And so you go and you sit on the desk and it's terrifying because mm-hmm. you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know any of this. I don't know this agent. I don't know these systems. I need to not screw up. Yeah. But it, you just get thrown into the deep end and you learn how to, you know, how to adequately be a partner to an agent to make sure that their life is not awful. And yeah. so, and from there, you, you know, you, you become sort of as you're running around, as you're meeting agents, as you're kind of networking, as you're meeting your class of mailroom people that you're with, like those all become part of your network. And as soon as, you know, someone takes an interest in you or, you know, there's an agent who's looking for an assistant that's like ready to, to grab someone at the mailroom. Like agencies generally tend to only hire assistants from their own mailrooms. Yeah. And so it's, it just is like that first stepping stone to getting into Hollywood. And I think one of the things that I found too, even while I was first initially applying to jobs out in Hollywood, every single job, assistant job that I was interested in at a production company or a studio or whatever, all said in the um, the application, like you know, one to two years agency experience required. Yeah. And it was like, all right, well, I guess I got to do that first before I can go do this. And you know, like I, I had the pleasure of working with this incredible woman named Dana Spector, who's over at CAA now, but was such a mentor to me. Was in book to film division over at UTA. I went with her to Paradigm when she got asked to go head up the division over there. Wow. And she's still like one of my 
people out here, one of my supporters, one of my advocates. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it is certainly, it is mythic. Um, hmm. and it's not fun a lot of the time, but it's important. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else. I know you're closing down on your time. Um, is there anything we should no, talk about that you're all good. we haven't? Um, I just like next year is going to be a, an almost like a, it's weird to say bigger year, but it's the year that all the stuff we got to make this year comes out, which is great. It's really exciting. And I think, you know, we have, you know, 20s, which kind of loosely autobiographical and based off of Lena's life, coming up as a black woman in Hollywood that comes out next um next March, as well as Boomerang season two, The Shy season three, um, obviously 40 year old version, and you know, Lena's in Westworld. Like there's a lot of things that are like, I think like with this year being the foundational year of the company, super exciting that we were like, you know, we actually did the work and we, we made a lot of stuff this year. Yeah. But I think like, I'm really looking forward to the reactions from people next year to the content that we're putting out because I do truly, truly believe it's different and it looks different and it feels different and there's a lot of it. And yeah. so like, we've always talked about wanting to be a production company that rivals a plan B, a bad robot, and these other, and like, you know, plan B especially, I think in a big way has been such a, a guiding light for us hmm. uh, as an organization to be like, oh, wow, like they not only managed to do a lot of stuff, there's a really high level of integrity to the work that they do. Yeah. And we want to be, you know, like that, but we also want to be considering those conversations. Um, so I think like next year is a big year for us. I'm very excited for people to get a sense of, of who we are as a company and what we can do. And the goal is from there, like it, to be able to just keep making stuff and keep making stuff and keep making stuff. Are you going to Sundance and what are your objectives there? If so? Yeah. So I'm definitely going to be at Sundance. Obviously, you know, priority a is making sure that we get a great sale on 40 year old version and doing all the meetings with the buyers and everything. But I also, I love going to Sundance. <clears throat> I was there last year. I saw 25 films. I yeah. think or the festival. like I just, I sit and I just go to, to movie to movie to movie <laughs> to movie. It's just such a place that's just like a celebration of cinema, but I, I love discovering new voices there. I mean, that's like what we all do as execs going out to Sundance. But it's just awesome. And like the, the conversation that comes out of a movie and you sit there with your friends and you're like, that was like remarkable. Like, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like that director becomes the hottest director in town <laughs> um, for, for for that period of time. And, it, and it's great. And there's sort of a vibe and an energy to it. But I'd say like, yeah, like goals are really selling 40-year-old version, discovering some great new voices and seeing as much as I can. That's it. That's Rishi Rajani. We will also be at Sundance, seeing as much as we can, meeting as many people as we can. If you're going to be there, DM us at MovieMakerMag. If we can swing it at all, maybe we'll find you and give you a copy of MovieMakerMag. The next issue is going to be ridiculous. Uh, And if you take a picture with it at Sundance, we will put it on our social channels. So, at MovieMakerMag. We would love to see you in person or online or whatever. Um, Or maybe at a screening of the 40-year-old version. Who knows? Thanks. Talk to you soon.